Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Bad on Paper podcast. I'm Becca Freeman. And I'm Olivia Mentor. And today is our August book club. We're discussing You Made a Fool of Death with Your Beauty by a Quickie Amizzi. And I'm very excited because I know this book has been pretty controversial in our Facebook group. And I also just learned that I think Olivia and I have some very dissonant opinions on it as well. Yeah, I think this is a great book to discuss, and I'm really excited to talk about it. Well, before we get into it, tell me your high. My high is I continued work on a new writing project that I'm diving into this fall. I can't share that much. I will in the future, but I'm really excited and just has felt so good to be back in my 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. writing routine. Like It's just been I'm just so, so excited about it. And I feel really creatively, I don't know, stimulated. Oh, that's amazing. That's such a good feeling. Like the beginning of a project feeling where everything is fresh and new and you're energized. Yeah, I'm not miserable yet. So I'm going to ride this high as long as I can. But to be clear for our listeners, you're still working on your book too, right? Yes. So I have multiple things that I'm juggling right now, all of which are very exciting and at different stages. And again, I'll share more eventually. I don't want to bore people, but I'm really loving where everything is headed right now. So I feel really grateful. What is your high? So my high is that I closed out my time in Maine. We had a girls weekend with four of my girlfriends from college plus me. And it was just really great. We went to my favorite restaurant in that part of Maine, which is in Augusta. It's called State Lunch. The food is so good. They have a rotating cocktail menu that always has a different theme. So one time, all of the cocktails were Nicolas Cage themed. This time, they were Prince themed. Oh, my gosh. That's my dream. That sounds incredible. Very fun. We went to a lake beach. I had never been to a lake beach before, but I was feeling very every summer after vibes being at a lake beach. Yeah. What's the verdict? It was really great. It felt like being at a regular beach, the lake was really large. So I guess you could kind of see the other side, but it didn't feel small. The only problem was we went on a 90 degree day and there's not as much of a breeze at a lake beach as there is at an ocean beach. That's a good point. Do you feel like there are lake people and there are beach people? Yeah, I think there are. I think especially in the Midwest, a lot of people go to the Great Lakes beaches. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So it was a good experience. Yeah, it was It was really, really fun. So that was a wonderful end cap on my time in Maine. And then I came home and I actually didn't know this, but Monday was the beginning of Virgo season. And so I'm just feeling, as a very Virgo-y Virgo, I don't know how much I believe in astrology, but I definitely, when I read the description of a Virgo, it resonates. And (laughs) I just have, I guess it's the back to school feeling. I think because I came back from Maine, I was there for two weeks, I am like, okay, great, I got my vacation, and now it's back to school. Now it's fall for me. That was always, did you love going back to school as much as I did? I was like obsessed with it. It was, I was like, I'm going to change my whole life. My handwriting is going to be perfect. I'm going to rule the world. I wasn't necessarily as excited about the school part, but I was always really excited about the buying new clothes and new school supplies part. Uh, Same, same. School supplies are where it's at. Yeah. Well, that sounds great. I'm right there with you. What about on the low end? I don't really have a low. I was kind of trying to think of one. And I was like, I don't know, maybe there's just no low and we'll just go with that. 
So I'm feeling really good. Really positive. That's great. Yeah. How about you? Not real low. Oh, look at us. Look at us. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, we can we can dive right into it, I guess. Let's do it. So let's start out with a quick plot summary of this book. Five years after her husband passes away in a car accident, Faye is finally ready to start dating again. After some low-stakes flings and casual dates, she meets Nasir Blake at a party. They both feel sparks but decide to be friends first. And as the relationship grows stronger and more romantic, Nasir invites Faye to the island where he was born to participate in an art show. Faye isn't sure how she feels about Nasir quite yet, but the opportunity to get away to a tropical island and present her work to important people in the art community is tempting, so she says yes. Once she arrives, though, Faye quickly realizes that things are going to be a bit more complicated. She discovers that Nasir's father is, in fact, Alan Blake, a renowned celebrity chef. She and Nasir stay in Alam's house, where she quickly bonds with Alam over being widowed and eventually a mutual attraction. After many weeks of staying on the island, Faye and Alam fall in love and share the news with Nasir and his sister. Naturally, things get very messy along the way. Before we discuss it, let's take an ad break. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. So this could just be me, but there's always been this one interview with Beyonce that has just stuck in my mind for years and years. I'm paraphrasing, but essentially she says something like, whenever I'm feeling really down, I give myself one day to wallow, and then I figure it out and I get over it. And this is kind of how I approach life too. Beyonce and I are very similar. (laughs) In many ways. In many ways. Some days are hard. You're going to feel stressed or overwhelmed or uninspired. And I think it's okay to feel those feelings sometimes and lean into them even. But I also think it's important to then prioritize problem solving. So I'm naturally a solution-oriented person. And there's just no better feeling than identifying what's going wrong and figuring out how to fix it. But it can be tough to train your brain to do this if it doesn't come naturally to you. A therapist can help you become a better problem solver. And if you're thinking of trying therapy, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. You get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey, and you can switch therapists at any time. This is so key because finding a therapist that you connect with is the only way to get the most out of the experience, in my opinion. My therapist regularly helps me feel like I have the tools and resources to conquer anything and everything that's going on in my life, from huge obstacles to just day-to-day stressors. When you want to be a problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BadOnPaper today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BadOnPaper. So let's start at the beginning, I guess. How did you feel about this book? I really liked it. I really liked it because of a few different things. First of all, I felt like the setting and the food of it were just so rich and lush, and I really liked that. And then second, I have felt lately like I am just really bored in the romance genre. I have read so many rom-coms and romance books, and they're just all starting to feel samey to me. You have this quirky protagonist who has a light problem that isn't actually usually that big of a problem. 
and she meets either this dream man who she doesn't think could ever love her or a rival <laughs> or enemy. And then, of course, they fall in love. And I, I'm just feeling like a lot of romance feels formulaic to me right now, which is probably not romance's fault. It's just that I've, I've read too much, like I've OD'd. So there's a little chaos monster inside of me that is like, <laughs> fuck his father. Do it. You, you know, like I I felt like this was so different and unexpected and I was excited to see where it goes. It didn't feel predictable to me. It just it felt so different than anything I'd read. And I really enjoyed its uniqueness. And I thought it was so masterful how it was done and how I was using my writer's brain the whole time that I was reading it and just thinking about like the choices that the author had to make because it's such a um, tall order to be like, hey, main character is going to fuck her kind of boyfriend's father and you're going to be on board with it. And I was fascinated by the calculus of what I perceived going into that to make that a character that we were still rooting for. You make good points. You make very good points. Tell me what you think. I feel slightly different. <laughs> so I'll start with the good stuff, which okay. I thought the descriptions of food and the setting were, I think you used the word masterful. It was beautiful. I used the word lush. Like I just felt like I was, I was on this vacation too. Yes. I could, I could see such a clear picture of this house in my mind. It was like, I was there. I wanted to be there with my morning coffee, like in the garden. I, I loved that. I Loved the descriptions of food. The mango foam will stay with me for a very long time. It's <laughs> a very steamy scene for the if anyone hasn't read, which I'm assuming you've read if you're listening at this point. However, I felt like, first of all, I don't really like Insta love plots. And I, I just, I didn't like this idea that she just arrived at the airport, saw his father, and then that was it. It was just like, oh, I'm screwed. And I was like, Really? There's there's no other, like, <laughs> kind of discussion about this. So that kind of I didn't gel with, I guess, is the best way to put it. And then I didn't really think there was enough discussion about their shared experience of being widows and grief. Like, they have that one conversation in the garden. They have the mountain. But then other than that, it just felt like there wasn't a lot of development. And... um I didn't love the ending either. <laughs> also, I felt like there were a lot of subplots that were just sort of coming out of nowhere that I had trouble placing within the story. Like, I didn't understand what purpose they served. For example, the whole plot line with Milan. The first hundred pages, I think I really struggled with this. But then I will say, when they got to the island, I was like, could not put it down, read and stayed up super late finishing it. So... I will give give the author that for sure. I, I did like it in that sense. Well, I think that kind of goes back to the gymnastics that you have to do to make this all okay. And I think to me, that's why there were so many subplots. Because I think if Alan was the first person that she was with sexually and romantically after her husband's death, you would be like, no, she just latched on to him because there hasn't been anyone and it's the first time. And so you would write it off. So I feel like Milan was necessary to be that person. And if 
Nasir had been that person, I think you would also have problems with her betraying him. And then I think it was also necessary for Nasir to be a little shady and go after his friend's girlfriend, where he was very obviously hitting on her while she was with his friend because he needed to not be perfect so that when he gets betrayed, you're not like, ah, dude, how could you do this to this amazing guy? Because even though he was great, he wasn't wasn't perfect. perfect. And then I think with Joy, and I really enjoyed Joy's character as a best friend, like she needed to be messy too and have her own mess because otherwise I feel like she would have come off as judgmental when Faye was sharing anything with her. So I was kind of like doing the calculus in my head of all of these steps are leading up to us being able to stomach the fact that Faye is going to get with Alum. That does make sense. So I guess you're saying that you were okay with it then by the end. Like you were like, yeah. This makes sense. I was. I I don't know that I was on board with it, but I found it all well explained that I could could get over the betrayal of Nasir from both of their points. I was like, well, maybe is this the best decision for you? Maybe not, but like, sure, be with him. I don't know. I was fine with it. Were your issues a moral issue? Like, you could never get on board with a character dating somebody they dated's father? Or was it the hows and whys of how that happened? No, I I don't know. It it kind of fascinates me because I was obviously reading and turning the pages like, okay, like when are they gonna when are they gonna finally do the deed, waiting for it? The buildup is great and there's like a lot of tension there and everything. But I think for me the problem was I just didn't connect with the chemistry. Like to me, it felt too fast. It felt like, I don't know. I feel like the relationship was really described and built on this, like, okay, we, we share this, this experience of grief and loss, but I didn't think it was actually explored that much between them in, in the book other than those couple times. And so maybe that's why for me, in order to blow up your life in this way, you have to have such intense emotional connection, which they had, but I was just not seeing it or feeling it as much as the author was explaining it. I just didn't connect with it. I I didn't find it believable for some reason. Yeah. I saw that critique a lot in Goodreads reviews and I think maybe also in our Facebook group. So I, I know you're not alone in saying that. I think maybe because I read a lot of romance, I'm kind of willing to suspend my belief in certain ways. I also think I agree with what you said that I don't read that much romance. I think it was a little bit jarring for me to have an experience with romance that wasn't necessarily warm and fuzzy. <laughs> like, it was hot. I was like, oh, cute. Like, I, I would love to be in that scenario. Like, please, no. I did <laughs> not think it was as steamy as other people made it out to be. I thought this was going oh, to be, you know, like four or five jalapeno peppers out of five. And yes, there I was, was expecting X rated yeah. content. <laughs> and there was definitely some a little bit of sex, but I would say it was more sensual than sexual almost. Yeah, I think you're right there. And actually, that's a credit to the author as well, because I think that's difficult to do. I agree. Wait, did you know going into this that she was going to get with her boyfriend's not the right word, her hookup friend's father? Did you know that going in? So I did because you had mentioned it, but I kind of wonder if I would have even kept reading if I didn't know that. Mm. 
because like I said, I really struggled for about the first hundred pages, just kind of trying to figure out where this was going. But then I knew. <laughs> I was sold in the first scene. One of the more graphic sex scenes in the whole book is the first scene. Yes. Yeah. Which kind of made it a little interesting to me because yeah. I was like, okay, so I know where this is going, but I'm unsure how the author is going to get there. And they did. But did you know? Yeah, I didn't know. I, I can't okay. remember. I'm pretty sure the back cover copy says that it's about her getting together with this guy's father. Oh, really? Maybe. I, I'm not positive, I, but I know that I knew. And I'm not sure if maybe when Morgan was on the podcast and recommended it, she said it, or if I just picked it up through uh, like the zeitgeist, other people talking about it on Instagram. I'm not sure, but I did know going in. I would be really interested to hear from someone who didn't know that because I love nothing more than like just being in the middle of a book and being like, wait, what? <laughs> and being surprised. I feel like not knowing might have ruined the experience for me because I knew really? going in what this was. And so I was prepared for it. I was not too attached to Milan or Nasir. And I knew where this was going. I'm just trying to think like if in Book Lovers by Emily Henry, all of a sudden, you know, Nora is like, I'm really attracted to Charlie's dad, like would throw the book across the room. Because that's a warm and fuzzy type of book, and this is not. Yeah. <laughs> this is, like, dark. Yeah. Dark romance, I guess. So, you know, obviously, infidelity is controversial. Although, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of people who, and I'm judging this based on Goodreads comments, who are like, I won't read anything with infidelity. Like, that ruins a book for them. But I feel like every single one of Ellen Hildebrand's books is either directly or indirectly about infidelity. Obviously, they're very popular. But beyond just like the infidelity, what do you think it is about this book that made it really divisive? I don't find really any of the characters likable. I mean, I think that's always, which I usually don't need that in a book. Like I actually prefer if the characters are very messy and imperfect. Mm -hmm. But also, I guess it was tricky because... In the outline, I use the word infidelity, but would you consider what happened to infidelity? I mean, I think it's definitely a betrayal, but I don't know if you could call it cheating. And I kind of wonder if this book would have had the same reaction or even a more divisive reaction if they had been in an actual relationship. I think Nasir would have called it infidelity. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yes, that's true. But I wonder if the author thought it was. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's on the it's on it's a blurry line. It is. What do you think it was in terms of the? Because it is extremely divisive. I have never heard from so many people I trust that this is like such an incredible book. And then on the same hand, heard the opposite from people I trust as well. I loved the debate in the Facebook group. I'm actually shocked that we didn't get a single voicemail from people. We asked for them. Nobody sent one in. I thought that, that is this, shocking. this episode was going to be popping off with contradictory voicemails. I know we're going to get people in the comments being like, I'm with Olivia. I'm with Becca. So... No, no judgment either way. <laughs> well, I think this is what makes it an interesting book clip pick. I love a book that is divisive, not in a necessarily controversial way. I think another thing that makes this book, I don't know if it's what makes it divisive, but I think this book is a little bit genre defying. Like, I don't think mm. it's quite a romance. Yeah. It's not quite a messy family drama. I don't know what it what you call it. So I think also just depending on what expectations you're going in with and what genre you usually read, I think this just really subverts 
potentially what your expectations were going in. And I think some people are like, yeah, like I'm in a phase right now where I'm like, yeah, subvert my expectations. <laughs> let's fucking time travel. Let's fuck his dad. Like, let's, dad. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm just like, While give, time me, traveling. No. give me okay. chaos because I feel like I've read every regular romance. So I'm into that right now. But I feel like if you were in a quieter season of reading where you're like, yeah, I want to like, get a happily ever after and you read this book, you would be what? I mean, on paper, if I had known the whole plot and like the the point of it, I think I would have been like, yeah, I'm into that. Because I'm not like, I don't read every single rom-com that comes out. I don't crave them necessarily. And I'm much more like darker, messed up, kind of weird stories. And yeah, I don't know why it didn't click. But I do appreciate it that it's different for sure. Mm -hmm. Were you picturing anyone in particular as... Faye or Alum. This is something I'm really excited to talk to you about because I had so much difficulty picturing Alum for some reason. Maybe like Lenny Kravitz. Somebody said that in the Facebook group and I I don't generally picture people unless it's a you know in the idea of you it's pretty obviously Harry Styles. Of but course. Unless I'm given that tee up I usually don't picture somebody but when somebody said that I was like Wow, this changed my whole experience of the book, even after having finished it, just recasting yeah. Alab as as Lenny Kravitz in my head. I was kind of picturing Faye. So on the cover of the US version, there's like a woman in profile with gold braids. And so it's beautiful. Yeah. It's such a good cover. So I could kind of like picture who that was. I think I was maybe, if anything, picturing Beyonce in my head. Yeah. Yeah. I was just picturing like an ethereal, perfectly beautiful person the whole time. Mm -hmm. But I also, as much as I was picturing Lenny Kravitz at times, for some reason, I was picturing him so old in my mind. I think I was picturing more of an Idris Elba when I was reading it. Okay. That's always good. Yeah. But I think Lenny Kravitz feels more correct in terms of, well, I think he's described as very dark skinned. So in that way, Lenny Kravitz is not correct necessarily. But in terms of the kind of femininity of him, but that it's still sexy. I feel like that's very Lenny Kravitz. Yeah, I I agree. I think that's the perfect fit. I wonder who the author was thinking of, if anyone. Yeah, I'd love to know because it's a very specific I mean, there's no one else in any book that I've read that I could compare him to. So tell me more about, you said there were a lot of subplots that that just weren't doing it for you. Can you talk a little bit more about that? The one that sticks out in my mind that I was kind of like, wait, what? Was when at the end she suddenly like revealed that she was in love with Joy at one point or vice versa, Mm -hmm. which didn't shock me because they had talked about hooking up and stuff. But I was kind of like, confused at where that fit in in the plot and I just found it very distracting like I I could probably make the connection how the author was trying to say that everyone is messy and whatever relationships aren't perfect you can still be for I I don't know but it just kind of threw me out of things for a second because it was the very end when everything was coming together and I was kind of like what is happening and then as much as I see your point about Milan being necessary to the the plot that too at the end felt a little confusing. Like the way he kind of comes back in for a second, I can almost see that being an edit being like, Oh, Milan just disappears and it feels out of place. So you got to bring him back in. It was just little things like that where I was in the story and then I go out of it. 
I don't know. But you said you liked them, so it might just be me. Well, I kind of, I guess I thought about the the detail with Joy as an aside that like, oh, she's bisexual, but it doesn't really mean anything to the plot. Like the same way when you talked about in Linda Holmes's book with the duck that I can't remember the name of, that she was just plus size. Like it, it kind of struck me as that where it was just like, this character is bisexual. It's not relevant to this plot because the lead is a man, but like, you should know this. I I could see that, but my question is like, isn't there a way to do that without there being some sort of unrequited love with the best friend who is like arguably the <laughs> third most important character or fourth in the book? Sure. It didn't, <laughs> it didn't bother me though. The Milan thing, okay. I totally see what you're saying where he came back at the end and his motivations were also slightly unclear, which I guess is because he he's one of the first characters you meet, which I think is tricky, but he's probably mm-hmm. a third tier character when you look at the yeah. book on the whole. So, you know, I don't really know his motivations. And he was like, yeah, I was dealing with shit too. I liked, I liked my ex-girlfriend. And you were like, you did? Yeah. I was like, what? (laughs) Yeah. Well, you liked them. So to each their own. And it's not that I liked them. I liked Joy specifically. And I, I respected. I found her really funny. I, I saw, or I think I saw what the author was trying to do with some of these subplots with the Mm -hmm. other men, as opposed to diving right into the alum relationship because that might have been too jarring for most audiences. Probably would have been too jarring for me too. <laughs> yeah, it's a little, it's kind of jarring the way it is. So one subplot that is explored a lot, background details about both characters, is losing a spouse. Faye lost her husband suddenly. Alum lost his wife suddenly and traumatically. And so they connect over that grief. How did you feel about how that was explored in the the book. I thought there were some really poignant quote nuggets, quote nuggets being the official term, <laughs> quote uh, nuggets in there about grief. I thought that there was some real depth and pain and darkness in it. It wasn't just all light and fun. I think it's really common that in romances, a protagonist has a dead parent, for instance, but I can't think of another book I've seen where it's a young widow. Yeah. And I almost feel like there's something really jarring about that if I were to try to put myself in that situation, which I obviously haven't experienced, where it's like when a parent dies, even if they die young, you expect to outlive your parents, just like realistically. Like most people will have to go through with that at some point. But it's like you don't get married at 22 and you're like, he will be dead within five years. Right. So I, I thought it was interesting and I thought that her grief was well portrayed and like not overblown. The mm-hmm. one, it's not a critique. So at certain points in the book, I was trying to figure out the timeline because it says very early that he died five years ago. And then right. she just moved to New York like the previous year. And so it's kind of like, what were you doing for those four, first four years? And maybe she was just in a very deep depression. But that was something I was wondering about is like what happened? Because at certain points I was like, wait, did he die five years ago or did he die a year and a half ago right before you moved to New York? It was a little fuzzy. I kind of was waiting a lot for there to be some plot twist about how her husband died. Did you feel that way at all? Some big reveal or... Or like she was like driving the car or something? Something like that. Or I don't know. I just kept waiting for it for some reason. I have no idea why, but it never came. (laughs) No, I I wasn't waiting for that. Okay. How did you feel about, about the grief plot line and about their mutual bonding over grief? That's another critique I saw on Goodreads was how... I can't think of like the right wording here, but how he almost 
some people were saying he manipulated her because of her grief. And I didn't mm. feel that way. No, I didn't feel that way either. If anything, I felt the opposite to me a little bit. No, but I I liked it. I thought it was really thoughtful and accurate and not fluffy at all and very realistic. I just wanted more of it, I think. I wanted more conversations about it, more connection, just more. I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of things, and this is one of them, where the reader was just supposed to, like, it's unspoken that they are just cosmically bonded because they both lost someone. I need a little more of those conversations and that bonding explained to me. Like, I need to see it in my head. I need to see the scenes, if that makes any sense. I totally hear you, but I do think, and I'm not, I'm not trying to change your mind, but I do think, <laughs> like, uh, so I, my parents are dead, and when you meet somebody else who has that shared experience, I feel like there is just a, an, oh, you get this type thing. And I can only imagine that that might feel even stronger with having lost a spouse, especially at a young age. So mm-hmm. just feeling like everyone else is speaking French and you're speaking Mandarin and like, yeah. fi- and then like finding somebody else who speaks Mandarin and being like, oh, yes, it isn't a conversation. It's like that you have this shared language and experience. No, that's a that's an excellent point. And, you know, I did have a thought reading it where I was like, if God forbid anything ever happened to Jake, like I can't imagine being with someone who didn't understand that. Right. Because of the ways it would change you. Right. So I think that's a really good point that I hadn't considered at all. So I've seen some people take issue with the, not the lack of remorse, because I think they're both somewhat remorseful about the situation. Do you think they were remorseful enough to the kids about what happened? I felt worse for the sister than I did for Mm -hmm. Nasir. Because I think Nasir really turned, and he maybe turned a little too far into a jerk after this was announced to him so like his true mm-hmm. colors really came out in a way that i didn't find him very sympathetic right and, and which maybe is intentional was, i'm sure yeah it, and, and maybe that was taken a little too far as well that seemed slightly out of character i felt worse for the daughter who like didn't have anything to do with this it was just like collateral i did think it was really interesting the detail that alum had had a relationship with a man that he was in love with and his children were not willing to accept that and that he broke off that relationship for his children. And this was when they were younger. And so now he felt like he'd already given one up and he did not owe that to them now, especially as they were older. So I felt like from his side, I got it. And then from Faye's side, it was, you don't know this guy, you know, Nasir is somebody that you dated for a month. Like, what do you owe him? Sure. It is shitty, but like, what do you owe this guy that you haven't slept with and you knew for a month? So I didn't really feel like it was Faye's problem. Yeah. It's certainly a consideration. Yeah, it definitely did make me think about, as a woman, like the sense of politeness. Like if someone does something for you, you you owe them. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, he didn't deserve <laughs> that to her to sleep with his father, no matter what had happened. But she also didn't owe him you know, a relationship or a connection. And I don't know, I had points where I was thinking like, you know, he he helped her get this huge opportunity and she was a guest in his home. I felt like oh, that makes it worse. But then it, it forced me to challenge those thoughts a little bit and be like, 
okay, like if this was reversed, how would I feel? You know, what, how does gender play into this and stuff? So I appreciated that it made me think a little bit deeper about that. I'm also really interested in any exploration of parents as people and individuals outside of their identity as parents. And like Mm. going back to Black Cake, for instance, I feel like that was another book that explored your parents were people with lives before you came on the scene that like you might know nothing about. I think it's really interesting to think about just seeing as more and more of my friends become parents, you have an identity separate from parenthood. And so, you know, his children are grown, they are thriving, they are out of the house. Yes, you owe them some consideration when it's at the expense of your happiness. Like, what do you owe them? And I don't know the answer, but I think it's really interesting to think about. Yeah, I totally agree. I struggle (laughs) with that. I know my parents are people. It's just it's hard. I guess maybe if I become a parent one day, it will make more sense, but it's difficult for sure. Can I also share a really half-baked thought that I'm just curious if you agree with or like disagree with? I feel like we are more tolerant of messiness in TV and film than we are in books. People love euphoria is so messy. Hmm. Succession is so messy. Like we really like these morally gray shows And I I feel Mm -hmm. like, you know, are really, really popular, you know, even to the, this is a terrible example, but like even to the point of like Game of Thrones, I mean, spoiler ahead, if you haven't seen it, not the new one, the old one, you're like, yeah, incest, let's go. Yeah. Day one. (laughs) But I feel like in books, people get really judgy about messiness more so than in TV and movies. And I feel like in a lot of cases, it's the same people who also watch these TV shows. And I wonder why that is. Like, I wonder if it's like a discomfort with being in someone's head that's that messy because you get their interior monologue as well. I don't know. Yeah. Do you see anything here? Are you like, yeah, weirdo? Like, I particularly see what you're saying when it comes to something like succession, which is you cannot describe it any other way than deeply fucked up and layers upon and layers of betrayal and terrible people. And I am rooting so hard for (laughs) Kieran Culkin's character to sleep with Jerry. Like, I'm like, let's go. I know. Maybe it's something, a book is, it seems like so much material, but you can only explore so much. Like, Mm -hmm. you don't maybe get the same connection to characters that you get when you're watching a series or you can see how they dress and you can see how they talk. And of course, you're picturing that in your head in a book. But yeah, I see what you mean. Because you understand the motivations of all these people on succession and you like feel for them as much as you hate them. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it's harder to see three-dimensional people in books, maybe. I don't know. I don't think that's it. I think it's that you can separate yourself. Like, I think when you think about Kieran Culkin's character on succession, Roman, you can like judge him from the outside. Because you're not, you understand his motivations, but like you're not in his head necessarily versus I think with a book where, where you're reading it in a first person perspective, I, like you have to almost become Faye. Right. And so if yeah. you have a problem with the things that that character is doing, I feel like it's more intimate than if you're watching something and you're like just judging from the outside. Yeah. No, that's a great point. That's a great point. You can't explore all the perspectives as much. Yeah, but it's it's just interesting because I feel like 
I mean, there's certainly murdery, messed up, twisty books too, but I feel like, I feel like books tend to be more black and white. Like it's like good people or bad people. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I, I don't know. It's a half-baked thought, but it was just something that I was like, people are so harsh on this book in in some of like the Goodreads reviews, for instance. And I'm like, if this is a TV show, you would be eating this up. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. And it's a really interesting point. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> I think you're right. I guess this kind of goes to the same point, but I was watching a YouTube video from it's on a channel called to be black and loved. And they were reviewing this book and they pulled out this. Did they like it or dislike it? They liked it. Okay. They pulled out this one quote and I was like, Oh, I feel like that kind of sums up the book. But the quote is he said he meaning Faye's husband who died. He said it was one of the best things about being human, how he could make such disasters and recover and recover from them enough to make them into stories later. And I feel like that's kind of the heart of the story like there's just going to be chaos and there's going to be mess and ultimately it becomes part of who we are in hopefully a good way (laughs) but I also think the point could kind of be made that this absolves people of having any responsibility towards others in a way I see it both ways because part of me really liked that it was like she was saying, this is life and it's messy and it's chaotic and I'm not going to hold myself back after five years of being sad because this makes me happy. And that was beautiful. But on the other hand, I was like, at what point <laughs> do we have to assess how that impacts other people? I see what you right? mean. I see what you mean. I. Th- this feels like a non sequitur. I don't know why <laughs> this is what it made me think of. But it made me think of... <laughs> made me think of how Hunter Biden is with uh, his brother's widow. Of all the things I thought you were going to say. I know. Those are the last two words I would have expected. Fully, fully understand But I'm with you. I'm with you. Keep going. But it's like, I don't think these things should be pervasive at the 99% of relationships. Like, these relationships do happen in real life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And... There was something about this book that felt real to me. And it that's such a weird thing to say because it's so such a weird niche conversation. But there was something about everyone's attitudes in it where I was like, this does feel really real. Like, and this quote is like, fuck it, I deserve to be happy too. Or I don't yeah. know. You know, I actually really agree with you. I think that... I can think of many (laughs) things I've heard of relationships, you know, affairs, whatever, that the first thing you hear them is like, why the hell would someone do that to their own life, their own family? But it happens. Yeah. And it, it almost never makes sense or is like fitting into some cookie cutter mold. And this brings me to my final point, which is that this... Can't wait. (laughs) This is why I hated the ending so much, because I felt like it was like mess chaos, love against all of these circumstances going against them. And then it was like, I love you. You love me. Let's get married and live happily ever after. At the end, I was like, what? The the ending did feel rushed to me. The ending did feel rushed. And I did not like that he was like, 
I'll come to New York with you, where it was she felt mm-hmm. so independent. And even though I was on board with this relationship, I was like, we'll also give her some space. And I didn't like that he was, no, we're going to do everything together now. Yeah, I read that and I remember thinking, oh, so this is where it turns. And she realizes that even though she needed this experience to discover something about how she wants to live her life, it's not actually going to be like, we're going to get married and live in a penthouse in New York and I'm going to cook food anywhere because I'm me. I think that's what he says. I'm me. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I, it's funny because I read this book about a month ago. The ending, now that we're talking about it again, I, I do remember being like, oh yeah, I didn't really love the ending. But that's not what stuck with me. I feel like there are some books where the ending is, like, not that important. That's true. I felt like I was waiting for some, like, very dark ending. Oh. I should have known that it's not because it's marketed as a romance. But I was like, okay, that's going to be the thing that kind of makes this all click into place for me because it did have good things going for it. Instead, I was just like, what? (laughs) I was just like, okay, It didn't fit the vibe of the book to me, but I think Mm -hmm. you're right that not all books have perfect endings and it still works and can be impactful, of course. The last thing I want to talk about is the title, which which comes from a Florence the Machine song. I don't feel like I get the title. I think it's really beautiful. It kind of drew me to the book. But if you were like, please explain what the title means. So I wanted to talk about this as well. I had a very weird thing happen, which is I read the book, I think... 90% of it really on Monday. Uh Tuesday, I worked out and Uh I was like, a Florence and the Machine workout playlist would be incredible. So I found one, I put it on. And the song that the title is based on, or it's a lyric in the song, but the song is called Hunger. And I heard the lyric and I was like, oh, that's the title of the book. And then I thought, well, that must be from a poem or or Shakespeare or or something. So I Googled it and I was like, oh, no, the author literally just listened to the song and like the title. And I don't know that I particularly get it either. I wonder which came first, the title or the book. Mm, That's a good point. One thing that I we didn't talk about that I didn't necessarily love was how frequently it was mentioned how beautiful Faye is, where, like, her defining character was her external beauty. And if the book was already done, I feel like this is an excellent title for it because you hear so much about her beauty. But if it came first, I'm then I'm confused because I don't get what it means in the absence of this book necessarily. Yeah, I'm not sure... There's a quote from the author in an L interview, and they say the lyric, and then they say, I really like that because it speaks to being alive and the idea that vibrance and beauty are connected to life in a life that conquers death kind of way. So it felt like a really good fit for a story about someone who's trying to figure out how to be alive and how to connect with all that vibrance after death. Interesting. And I guess I could see that. Yeah. But I don't see it so much that... Like, if... I was walking by a bookshelf. I don't think I would be like, yes, I understand this. I would love to know how much the author had to push to get this to be the title, because I can imagine that a publisher would have a lot of problem with it, because it is one of the longer book titles I think I've ever seen. And it also made me think before I had any idea what the book was about. I was like, oh, this must be very... Poetic? Yeah, or like philosophical or... And it's not that it isn't, but it's not as complex as I was expecting. 
Do you think they needed to get Florence the Machine's permission? That's a great question. I did read, which was really strange to me, that an alternate title option was just Alive. Oh, I, like that. I like that a lot less. Alive <laughs> yeah. feels like a thriller where the main character goes through like eight million trials and at the end yeah. is on a dusty road by themselves and they're like, at least I'm alive. I Yeah, I was like, how was that an alternate title? Like, It's so, I don't know. I mean, I think ultimately we're talking about the title and how often do you talk about the title of a book? That's and true. And so I think it, it works because it makes it stand out. You know the other thing I'm fascinated by? I'm fascinated by how many genres this author has written in. And I've never read any yeah. of their other books. I think their most notable other book is The Death of Vivek Oji, I think, mm-hmm. is their most notable other book. I think there might be another YA, which is maybe won an award. I can't remember. Yeah, that sounds right. But um, I think it's fascinating how many genres this author has written in. And it really reminds me of... Have you read Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert? You're the second person to ask me that today. Really? (laughs) Who's the first? Someone on Instagram. But no, not in its entirety, because I think I'm saving it for something. I don't know what. Oh, my gosh. That book is like everything to me. I read it every January. In it, Elizabeth Gilbert talks about Harper Lee, the author of To Kill a Mockingbird, and how Harper Lee never published anything while she was living after... To Kill a Mockingbird because she was so paralyzed by the success of that book. And and Elizabeth Gilbert says, like, I wish that she hadn't taken it so seriously and had released like a pulpy detective novel and a children's book and a steamy romance and, you know, just like had fun with it. That really just like, I don't know if that's why this author has done this, but I'm like, I think that's so interesting to just be light with your creativity and be like, I'm going to create this or that, as opposed to being like, I've now established my author brand and I will create things that are only in a vein of A to C. Definitely. It's really admirable and difficult. Difficult, yes. And scary. Yeah. But ultimately, why limit yourself? Honestly, I'm so curious what our community thinks about this. I would love to talk about this book in the Facebook group. So as always, we'll have a post announcing today's episode, but come talk to us in the comments because... I feel like we're not like fighting about this. We're, we're definitely like on opposite sides of how we felt about this book. And I just, I don't know. I feel like it's such a good discussion book. Tell us, how would you feel if your person you're dating but not dating? Oh, shitty. I would feel shitty. <laughs> has sex with your famous dad. Bad. <laughs> not That's great. not the right question. That's unfair. <laughs> I know. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's unfair. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Shall we get out of this and into some end matter? Yes. I got to know about your obsession just based on what is written in this outline. My obsession is cowboy boots and I'm holding them. Listener, right now. they are white. They are they white. They are bright white cowboy boots. Um look, cowboy boots are everywhere right now and I really like them as a just a trendy thing that's happening. So yeah, I ordered a pair. I almost bought glitter ones and then I was like, "What are you're not going to a Harry Styles concert? Who are you?" And then Also, why I, aren't you? I should be. Anyway, I just really like them. So I, I have I have two pairs now. And two I'm pairs? Just kind of, yeah, the other one are like less on the nose. They're kind of just like cowboy-ish. Okay. This is one of those trends that makes me feel elderly. Like I cannot picture myself getting on board with cowboy boots. Who knows? Maybe in two years, I'm going to be talking all about my cowboy boots. And <laughs> But right maybe. now, I just feel 
ancient. I, I kind of feel that way too, but I'm just leaning into it because fuck it, life is short. Great. Anyway, tell me about your obsession. Oh, so I decided that I am going to use my home office. So I have a room in my home that is an office. Really, since after the first six months I moved into my apartment, I haven't used it. It's just like storage. And I instead work at my dining room table. I think it's the back to school feeling. Like I I just wanted a change of scenery to maybe help my productivity. Also, though, working at my dining room table creates this like evergreen clutter Especially mm. I have the printed yes. book and then I have tabs and then I have like other books that I want to keep close by to like refer to. And then I have my legal pad and I'm like, there's just like so much junk on my dining room table when this is my desk. Mm-hmm. So I decided to reclaim my office. Day- it looks great. Thank you. Day three, it's not going great because there's not air conditioning in here. So it's a little hot. So 90 degrees today. But I think overall it will work. But I bought a, all from Amazon, I bought a laptop stand to like elevate my laptop. Because the other thing is when I sit at my dining room table, I sit like a hunchback. I bought a wireless keyboard and I bought a magic trackpad to make my setup work for me better. Nice. So my obsession, I guess, is like just my overall setup. All of these products are fine. I'm not like, wow, I found the laptop stand to end all laptop stands. We'll this link in the show notes. changing my life. Yeah, we'll like link in the show notes the one I got if you're curious. But like, it's not about the thing. It's about the conceptual idea of what I did. Yeah, and it's like refreshing just yeah. to be in a different environment. So Also, my office has better lighting because I face a window. So I look better for you right now, Olivia. <laughs> you do look great. Thank you. <laughs> Tell me about reading. Uh... Yes. So I feel like I'm finally out of my summer reading slump, which had been weeks long. And so I'm kind of a reading machine. I finished All Good People Here by Ashley Flowers, who is the host of Crime Junkie. I got a lot of questions about this on Instagram. So as a sidebar, did you see that this hit number one on the New York Times bestseller list hard copy? I did. People are obsessed. Like, yeah, look, here's the thing about this book. You go into it, if you're a listener to the podcast, completely biased because you're hearing her tell you a story in a podcast voice, even though it's a book, <laughs> which is hard to explain and works in certain points. I found it really soothing in the same way I find true crime episodes really kind of soothing. But in other points, I just found that I felt like I wasn't reading a book, if that makes sense. It just it took it me out of it sense. a little bit. I I know it's it felt so I guess here it felt less about the writing and more about the story did you like it like this is a thriller where there good twists there were twists I didn't hate it I thought it surprised me a couple times there are a lot of aspects that overlap with real true crime and true crime stories that people like are obsessed with and fanatical about. So I thought that also kind of worked both ways. I don't know. I'd have to, I think I'd have to read it again. I would really want to hear someone's opinion who has never listened to the podcast. Interesting. Okay. Meaning crime junkie, not bad on paper. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Meaning that, that, so if you are a listener of this, but not of that podcast, please read and report back. I also read We Were Never Here by Andrea Bartz, which is, I think, a couple years old now, but it is a thriller. It gave me a lot of anxiety because, as you know, I frequently have dreams about murdering people and then, like, being on the run. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of about that. (laughs) 
<laughs> so very scary. I can't wait for your follow-up novel where Jake murders Jake Gyllenhaal and then you have to <laughs> deal with that. It's going to be great. It'll be it'll be a little funny, but you know, yeah, like a comedy, a comedy mystery. <laughs> Perfect. Jake Gyllenhaal blurbs the cover. <laughs> Yeah, except he would quickly find out all of the ways I have criticized him online because Taylor Swift told me to do so. Oh. Then not want to do the blurb, but oh well. Okay, so the final book I read, I just finished last night. It's my favorite. It's one of my favorite books of the year, I think. It's Remarkably Bright Creatures by Shelby Van Pelt. I've been seeing this everywhere. It is so good. Can you tell me the the plot? Because so far, all I know about is that it's about an octopus. And that hasn't sold me, but I really like the cover. And I've seen so many raves about it. It does have to do with it. One of the narrators is an octopus. Interesting. <laughs> Which I did not know going sold. into it. His name is Marcellus. It's adorable. It's about a woman who has lost her, lost her son, lost her husband. She works at this aquarium. And it's sort of like a family story. I don't want to give too much away, but it it's a really like warm and fuzzy. It's a little bit predictable, but the writing is incredible. It's really creative. It's really beautiful. Very heartwarming. Highly suggest. Probably top five books of the year for me. Oh, wow. I've been talking a lot. So those are my three. Okay. I also have three. Um, the first one I read is called Soulmates, but soul is spelled like the city. S-E-O-U-L, mates, by Susan Lee. And this is out... September 20th. This is a YA book about a girl who is Korean-American and kind of rejects her Korean identity and really wants to be American. She ends up starting a relationship with her childhood best friend who moved to Korea and became a K-drama star. Hmm. Helps her to accept her, her Korean identity it was very high schooly. I mean, you know that I like a famous person, non-famous person romance. Yeah, I was so say. I don't think I've ever watched a K drama, and I'm not like super into BTS. I really love Blackpink though. But um, this just had a very specific world, which I think was very like fun and interesting and new, and I'd never seen before. It was on the high schoolier side of YA though, just as like a caution to anyone if that's not okay. your bag. I have this in my pile. Okay. The second one, highly recommend. It's called If You Could See the Sun by Anne Liang, and it's out uh, October 11th. It is about a girl at an elite Beijing boarding school who all of a sudden, for unexplained reasons, starts turning invisible. And she decides to monetize her invisibility by creating this app with her academic rival and selling her services to her classmates anonymously where she creates this like spying business. That's amazing. I thought this was incredible. It was really original. It was light sci-fi. So it was like the same kind of sci-fi as This Time Tomorrow by Emma Straub where it's like, Mm. it's not so deep into it. As long as you're into the premise, like it's not... It's not Project Hail Mary, you know, <laughs> with like all the scientific details. Like it right. was, it's like very light sci-fi. And this, I mean, it takes place at a uh, at a high school, but it felt like it had thematically a lot going on, exploring like class and wealth. And there's a cute, like very innocent romance in it. I loved this and just thought it was so original. Okay. 
That sounds great. I love a little bit of sci-fi. Yeah, it was really great. And this one, oddly, didn't feel too YA to me, even though it is at a high school and deals with high school students. And then the last one, I'm halfway through and I'm enjoying it so much. It's called Now Is Not the Time to Panic by Kevin Wilson, and it's out November 8th. Kevin Wilson wrote Nothing to See Here, which I know that everyone loves. I have not read it. And this is such a weird little book. It's short. It's like 250 pages. I'm like 70 pages in and I am loving it. Set in the 90s. It's about these two misfit teenagers who one summer decide to make art together and they create this poster that then accidentally causes like a huge panic in their small Tennessee town. It's like really weird. There's a first love story. It has a lot to say about creativity. It's like about weird teens. I'm really into it. Okay. That sounds great too. So I know none of those are out yet, but just giving you some fall preview. So very excited about our September book club pick, which is much more lighthearted than this month, and it's kind of a comedy. We're going to read Killers of a Certain Age by Deanna Rayburn. This is, I'd call it a comedy thriller, kind of in the vein of Finley Donovan is killing it, if that is something you've read. One of my favorites. Um, It's about a group of four female assassins who are all 60 and are retiring from the assassin game. They were recruited to work for like a shadow CIA in the 70s. So you kind of get the story in two timelines hearing how they got into the assassin biz. And then now they're getting out of the assassin biz. They're retiring. And on their retirement cruise, they realize that somebody is trying to kill them all. And so it's really funny. It's about friendship and ageism and... It surprised me in just like the biggest way, even from the first chapter, I was like, well, this is going to be fun. Oh, gosh, that sounds so refreshing after some stuff I've read lately. Yeah. So I think I think this is going to be like a good cross section for our audience of like, if you like thrillers, if you don't really like thrillers, it's not scary. Um, I think I think you could all be into it. One Downside comes out September 6th. So that's the day after Labor Day. I figured, you know, people are taking a late start to September. So yeah, so pick it up on September 6th when it comes out. We'll discuss the last Wednesday of the month. I'm very excited to hear what everyone else thinks because this is one of my most recent, most pleasurable, delightful, joyful reading experiences. I'm very excited. Let's get out of here. (laughs) You can come talk to us in the Facebook group about this book, that we read this month or any book really. We're also on Instagram at Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. And I'm on Instagram at Olivia Mentor. And we'll see you guys next week. Finally figured out how to outro and you're not like, Bye. I know. What is this? I can still do it. Bye. <laughs> okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs>